Hi everyone, I'm Adele. And I'm Jason. Welcome to Fidget, our BFRB podcast. So we are really excited today to have our first guest, our first official guest on Fidget, Ellie Elwand, who is here with us um, all the way from Toronto, right? <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, so Ellie is a friend that I've known since grade eight. When I lived in Toronto, we went to Earl Grey together. Um, still love that our school was Earl Grey. Named after a tea? No, well, I think it was I named after a person. <laughs> that the tea is also <laughs> high school. <laughs> but And also I remember noticing that there's a, a street nearby called Lipton Avenue, which I always thought was a really weird coincidence. <laughs> And the origin of my love for tea. Anyways, um, so welcome, Ellie. We're so glad that you're here today. Thank you so much. I'm so excited. <laughs> and I don't know when we last talked to each other um, for real, but it's been a while. Yeah, I've, there's definitely been some good like uh, Facebook messages exchanged, but in person, it has to be years. Yeah, like at least, I would say at least three years. For sure. Definitely. I think we had like a FaceTime at some point. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm so, yeah, it's so cool. Social media allows us to stay connected. Anyways. um, Yeah. So part of why I'm so excited that you're here is that, and, and why I thought it would be really cool to have you on is because back in grade eight, when, you know, this was my second year that I really had trichotillomania. <laughs> uh I, you were one of the, I think you were the first person outside of my family that I actually shared about uh, this with, this experience. Mm -hmm. I thought, well, how cool would it be if you were our first guest as well? And we can reflect back together. I love that idea. (laughs) It's a super vivid memory. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, well, it was, I was like, was aware in the moment how like kind of momentous it was and, and how big of a responsibility and a like privilege it is to have someone disclose something like that to you, especially, you know, mm. the, f- the first time that a disclosure is happening. Right. Especially when you're how old, 13, 14. And yeah, everything is a big deal at that time. Yeah. 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 Oh, and, totally. yeah. So- I was trying to remember how the, uh, how the conversation started maybe we'll get to that later on I don't know if you have somewhere yeah. you want to go right now uh not particularly okay. I yeah no I also have this memory of it being a really big day and I think part of it is because I had been thinking about it for so long like in our I think it was our first episode Jason and I were talking about how when we used to tell people for the first time it used to be this big moment that we would work up to um, and that we'd play over in our head and think about how we were going to say it and it had to be just right um, because it was such a big deal and who knew what the other person was going to say how they were going to respond that's so interesting because I was trying to remember how it came up and I was trying to figure out if it was something that you had planned on telling me or if it came up organically or if I had like suspected something and gone fishing for it Mm. I also remember being in a phase of my life at that point where I was really um, obsessed with this idea of of learning about people's like deep 
secrets. <laughs> and I think it's something wow. like so, so this was really good stuff. <laughs> Excellent content. I don't know. If, but now I'm like, is this just something that kind of kicked off that obsession? <laughs> Anyways, I think I'm over that now. I have a little a better boundaries. <laughs> that's funny oh well I yeah that's how I remember anyways but I don't like I think we were at the beaches but that may be a confusing okay I have a different location (laughs) okay okay where was we were were in we we were definitely I think in my narrative of my life this is is gonna be totally about like (laughs) memories yeah my poor memories yeah um no in in my mind we're in the playground across the street from our middle school on the swing there there's a swing set yeah there's slides and we're like getting to the age where we're like a little bit too old to be there so it's a bit ironic Mm. That we're you know we're a little bit self aware of being in a playground. It's kind of funny. I I remember having a digital camera at that time. I took a lot of photos of you that. and Amanda. Mm-hmm. A lot of time in playgrounds, which we were too old to be in. <laughs> um, yeah, and I think I used some of those photos in my scrapbook that I made from grade eight as well. I Best year that. of my life, still to this day. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> peak. Um. And I don't remember how the conversation came up, but I do remember uh, you telling me and describing in great detail what what it was. I'd never heard of anyone doing having that behavior before. And I remember we didn't have the word. We didn't know what it was called or, or mm-hmm. that it was, there was a name for it at all. And yeah. I think I remember we went home separately and I Googled a bunch of stuff. And I think we might have found out through like internet research that this yeah. had a name. That's how I remember it. That sounds and familiar. Continued to talk about it. Then we had some like ongoing, really open and like pretty explicit conversations for years afterwards about, about it. And you're still first and only person that I've ever met who is open about, about having tricked Trichotillomania. Trichotillomania. <laughs> Has I been wrongly? Maybe nobody tells me anymore because I just keep saying the word wrong. <laughs> no, I, I didn't notice that. Probably at the time, I didn't even know any different. <laughs> okay, this sounds way more familiar. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think what happened is that there was another story where I like I have this vision of telling someone on a beach and I don't, and I think it was the beaches in Toronto, but I could be wrong. And so it's interesting because I think sometimes I like conflate these memories because it's such a similar emotional experience of, okay, I, the, the preparation, the, the, uh, just this closure, the discovery of the other person and, and how they react. And I, but I, what I do remember is, feeling like I said that I was really building up to it and feeling so nervous about how you were going to respond and and because I mean you're one of my best friends at the time right I mean we spent all of our time together and it was sort of like and I was new that year as well there were all these pressures of well what if she thinks I'm super weird 
and then you know what what'll happen next and I don't know what you would do if you would just like throw me out (laughs) um yeah well another Uh, weird feature of like friendship of that age was that I remember feeling like I I was confirmed to like best friend status because I liked you so much I was like borderline obsessed with you (laughs) I remember being like okay this is really intense what she's telling me but also kind of awesome that kind of I, cool, right? <laughs> I'm being interested with this huge thing because that means that I'm I'm trusted I'm yeah BFF really, status yeah totally BFF status so you know there was that you know and as a teenager of that age like your your intentions are so <laughs> dumb and weird <laughs> like, I remember I remember the feeling that this was an important conversation like you know that that feeling of responsibility that that you seem to have felt as well in the moment for me it was like well I have to choose my words so carefully here because this is a turning point I think Mm -hmm. that's sort of how I saw it and then I mean you were so open to it. it like I think probably the fact that you were so willing to talk through it had a huge impact on how I felt being able to share with other people in the future because I just imagine if the first person I told had been judgmental or shut me down or like made fun of me or something how that would probably really stay with me so I mean I don't know I I think of it as a good day as well like in our in our friendship Hmm. important step Mm -hmm. (laughs) there's a page in the scrapbook for it yeah. <laughs> metaphorically yes metaphorically. there is a page with a photo of us swinging on that swing yeah, I'm pretty cool. sure we were singing Taylor Swift got my like multicolored braces oh yeah um and I still remember your outfit you would wear that like beautiful like rainbow shirt with your white jeans that day you were so stylish <laughs> I, wore, I wore a lot of flowy things back then it's yeah, you true did. you did <laughs> Um, but I remember also, like, looking back at it, it's so interesting because I feel like as an adult, obviously, you learn more about, like, boundaries. And I feel like even the more intense conversations and more personal conversations I have these days, even when someone is in a position similarly where, like, they're disclosing something to me now, I feel like our relationship to detail is so different. We're so much more aware of, like, triggers and boundaries um and not being too explicit about certain things and I remember then at 12 or 13 whatever we were it was like we really got into the detail of like the sensation of what it felt like for you to pick and pull and I I remember that being really like so eye-opening because it was the first time I was considering this concept and really like entering your mind in that moment and that process uh, was super, super intense and probably way more intense than if we had had that conversation as adults, because we probably wouldn't have gone that there. But I remember feeling like, you know, pretty, pretty unbridled in terms of like how specific uh, my questions could be about it. And you were very like, yeah yeah and I and I think I've like I still have that impulse to ask and ask and ask but I've like pulled back a little bit because I know that it can make people uncomfortable 
Um, but, but I remember it being like really, really incredibly valuable information mm-hmm. and really interesting. And I still remember like some of your descriptions of uh, your, your moment to moment experience of what would lead you to pull and where you would have to be and the feelings that it <clears throat> relieved or, you know, brought up. It was wow. super intense. That's yeah. super cool that you remember that. Cause that, I remember the the process of you asking questions like that. I think a lot of it is stuff that I hadn't had to voice before and not in that amount of detail. So I think it sort of forced me to also reflect on my experience in a way that I hadn't when I when I hadn't had to use words to describe it, you know, but for something that's so different from from the day to day, something that's so specific to my mind, being forced to put words to it, I think really helped me understand Mm -hmm. it as well and I mean I think what you're what you're saying about when you ask questions at that age or or your openness at that age and willingness to sort of push the the boundaries a little bit I think sometimes when I tell people now it's almost like everyone wants to be so accepting and so nonchalant about things it's like I want them to ask more questions um and it's almost a bit disappointing sometimes that you're like okay, that's cool, and we move on. It's like, but no, this is a really Don't you big, realize this is a big deal. Yeah, this is a big deal. Okay, give me attention, but <laughs> I, I don't think I I really thought about that. Um, well, there is just so much to be said for like, you know, not trying to play therapist or uh, <laughs> cross so many boundaries necessarily, but like, yeah, I, I also feel similarly. There's such a a a polite acceptance there's it's almost like to be asked questions and like pursued to talk about things a little bit more deeply and a little bit more you know risk vulnerability even more is uh is almost part of the process the deeper process of being validated Mm -hmm. it's not just you know disclosing and then having someone like nod sympathetically it's also like to have someone be curious about these like deeper darker parts uh is more challenging but I think if if the questions are asked in like the right way and not too like exploitatively maybe Mm -hmm. I think it it's actually leads to like a, a deeper connection and like a deeper process of healing too possibly yeah I think so and it adds to that that connection piece of our relationship as well which I think anytime you can delve deeper into your relationship to a friend to a point where you actually understand each other at another level I mean there's something there's something so rewarding about that it's like oh I I'm I'm being seen I'm being heard and and that's something that you don't you don't really lose. Like, even though we don't live in the same city, we don't talk that often. I still, you know, think about the friendship that we have and, and it has such an important place in my life. Um, and I think that is a big contributor. <laughs> we had a lot of other things to talk about. But <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, yeah. Yeah. And I remember some, some of the things that you described were like, 
I, I have thought about so many more times in the following years because it was like the first time that I'd been introduced to certain concepts or like the idea of a certain feeling like for example you know stop me if this is too much to hear but I remember like you describing um that there was like a relief in the moment when you would pull it and Mm -hmm. and I remember at the time that was really a complex concept to wrap my head around (laughs) that like uncomfortable pain could be part of a relief to you um, and it was only something that I could truly understand, like with age and, and then, you know, forming my own relationship to my body and pain and stuff like that with an eating disorder that I later experienced mm-hmm. that felt, you know, that was, it all kind of became clear as time went on. Wow. That's so interesting. I had no idea that it like remained part of your experience I think for me it was it was a huge relief of okay that's disclosed I can move on we I mean we did talk about it and I think I eventually shared with some of the other people in our friend group but I think at the beginning it was just just as like this is enough (laughs) (laughs) sharing (laughs) yeah it takes a lot out of you especially at that age especially at the beginning like it's a draining process yeah. And you, were, you you were so amazing cuz you were like so um great with people but also you were so private. <laughs> really? I remember. Yeah, I remember feeling like you were very um you were very like self-contained <laughs> and like super mature but like like internal and yet and yet you were like great and and outgoing and you had you were great at like connecting. I wouldn't I wouldn't have called you shy at the time, but Oh. Well thank you. And you know, I, I was like so out there. You were you know, so and... energetic and oh man. I was <laughs> I wished I was as outgoing as you. I mean I mean you were the star of Mulan. Like I wanted to be in that musical so bad. <laughs> you, you just brought so much energy to it to our friend group and to like the the whole class um when will my reflection <laughs> I remember that that audition so vividly because I was standing in for someone I couldn't be part of it because I had a dancer that day. doesn't hold up that it's was heartbreaking. <laughs> but um yeah and I think um after so I don't know how su- how long it was afterwards, but I feel like the the process of sharing about trichotillomania sort of opened, I, that's how I interpret it anyways, is that it opened a, a gateway almost because I, I remember like, it must've been several months later that when you shared with me about anorexia and I, I don't know, I don't know how, like, I remember your, like, I think when I first started sort of getting a sense of something was going on from a comment that your mom made, actually, when I came over for dinner one day. And I remember feeling so dumb because she said something about, like, um, 
be like having to eat a certain amount or something and then I was like oh well you know I have to like try not to eat so much because I thought she like I had no idea what she was talking about um but I feel like that was sort of the preview and then eventually you shared with me and and it felt like a similar moment of um yeah sort of uh I don't know if it was a secret for you or not, but it felt like it was being revealed to me um, in a similarly mm-hmm. important moment in your bedroom, I think. Oh. <laughs> yeah. No, the beaches, the beaches. Well, yeah, I mean, it's so interesting uh, thinking about disclosure too, because especially in those first few times that you tell the story or like open up to somebody, it's, it's so hard um, and it feels like such an occasion and you do have to like prepare ahead of time. And then also I felt like come down from it. Mm -hmm. And what I've noticed over the years, I don't know if this is just part of having, you know, being recovered and more recovered. um, But I do think that like with every time it gets a little bit easier. I don't know if you share that, but also get a little bit more like practice. And then also I feel like I'm, I'm a little less vulnerable to people's reactions or potentially going in a way that um, isn't great. And I remember at first in those early times, it was such a, a process to come out with it. If someone didn't respond super well, or like if mm-hmm. it was awkwardness or they made me feel uncomfortable, it was devastating. And it felt like, right. I felt like I had to recover from it and I would like hold it against them, you know, even Did if you- it Sorry. Did you, um, did that happen to you a lot? Like the negative responses? No, not, not a lot. I, it took me a really long time. Uh, like, I think it was definitely more than a few months after you told me it must've been actually a couple of years, like a year and a half, maybe. Oh, so it was once we weren't in the same school anymore. Yeah. Cause I got diagnosed in high school. Yeah. Um, and then I remember it was a while into recovery before I could really tell anyone. Um, so it was very, 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 very hard for a long time. And I remember just being so highly sensitive to how people would respond to it. And I remember, um, because it was something that would, was evident on my body, possibly you feel this way as well. Um, I, I remember being extremely conscious of how people looked at me Mm -hmm. as I was telling the story. Um, if I could see them kind of like assessing my current weight. Or afterwards, if if I sensed that they were like watching me eat, or mm-hmm. you know how how they looked at me, and I think some some of that was in my head, um, but I also do remember a couple times like people's eyes would kind of flicker over my body if I when I opened up about it, and I remember that being uh, really feeling really awful, even though it was totally involuntary on their part and understandable even as a reaction, right like all of a sudden they're they're measuring you in a yeah. in a way they hadn't before totally like trying to make sense of it yes and it definitely felt like there there was this crossover like uh one side once I shared that with someone our relationship had gone through a period of change mm-hmm. and I I knew the relationships um that where that disclosure existed and I could also identify the ones that it didn't and like they were different relationships to me 
yeah. people who knew, people who didn't know. Yeah. I um, <clears throat> feel like I had to constantly juggle this list, it, um, like uh, of the the people who knew, the people who didn't know. And then God forbid we're in a, you know, a group setting where three people know, four people don't know. <laughs> How to reconcile meltdown. Um, I was uh, going to add a question. Um, Adele, you, so you, you went through this process of like, you know, building up, preparing, knowing you wanted to share um, to Ellie, like where, like you wanted to share but at the same time like you knew like you didn't want to share too much like there was kind of like you wanted to tell Ellie but you didn't want to tell the whole group or something like do you mm, can you can you remember your thought process behind that like you know why was it Ellie that you wanted to to share with like um mm. you, you know why why wasn't it like, oh, you just start sharing and then you, you can share with everyone. You were still like a little strategic, a little selective. Yeah, I, that's a good question. I think it was, I don't know if I felt like I needed to share with everyone. Like it was, I think um, it was, okay, so this is a really, really close friend. Um, let, let's try this and see what happens. And then it was almost like, well, Ellie, then I knew that she knew me and that if I needed to talk about it, that I could talk to her because she was so willing. Um, and so I'm not sure I ever, I, I felt that that same need to share with some of my other friends. I think eventually it became sort of like a, well, I should tell them, <laughs> like sort of in that way that as a teenager, you feel you have to act a certain way around certain people and like it has to be fair and you know why share with currency sorry what was that it's almost like there's a currency yeah exactly and so I actually don't remember telling Amanda but I know that I did eventually I just don't remember the moment interesting Amanda was another person in our friend group and we had it yeah um, wasn't as emotionally weighty I guess um, not yeah and I yeah I'm not sure but she must have known eventually mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. it's funny how like some of these memories get so fuzzy <laughs> and then others are so vivid and it's like the weirdest details totally. um, or like the details that you do remember so strongly yeah yeah well I but, remember something uh preparing for this and, and thinking back to that day um I remember another thing that was really interesting and super specific that you described that I still think about often is that um you said and I, I'm curious to know if this is still true for you in your current I'm not sure you know we haven't talked in so long I don't know what your yeah. um current relationship to this is but uh that you wouldn't pull if anyone else was in the room it was only ever when you were alone and as soon as there was anything else going on or anyone nearby it wouldn't happen yep. uh, it was totally like a private thing and and I just thought that was so interesting because I was like 
okay, so maybe the solution is to be around people all the time. <laughs> the great solution for an introvert. <laughs> all problems solved. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Um, well, that I is- can just watch Vampire Diaries 24-7. <laughs> like, great, we could become even better friends. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's still true. It's still very true. And I have, I actually remember the few moments where someone has walked in when I do it um when I've been doing it because it was such a jarring experience like I remember my dad opening the bathroom door one day and I hadn't locked it and the the feeling of of dread or of I mean it's dread because like sort of dreading how he's going to respond but also the shock of this was the last thing I was expecting because I was I'm just like caught up in my world at that point um so it's still very true if if I'm around anyone else, I won't pull my hair. Um, and yeah, so I mean, it is a solution sometimes, you know, in a way if I go for a walk or just go into the living room where my roommate's hanging out. If I'm feeling vulnerable <laughs> to, to urges, it, mm-hmm. I guess it's a good thing to know about myself. It doesn't solve all, all of it, but yeah. It's, but it's not the case for everyone with trick. Like I, I've heard of, you know, people that will, while they're in class or that or around their family right like it's connected to other circumstances or Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um now I have a question um for you I was also thinking uh sorry let me just try and figure out how to articulate this Mm -hmm. um I was thinking about like my current version of what being recovered means in terms of uh, anorexia and how I really do feel recovered but I it's it's ongoing and it's still like I have to be really on top of my behaviors and like policing any intrusive thoughts that appear sometimes um but now I feel like there's so much more uh man it's so hard to explain but like uh you know when I was really sick most of my consciousness was taken up by these unhealthy thoughts and there was a very 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 small fraction of my brain that was healthy and was just fighting to like overcome um the unhealthy habits and behaviors and you know slowly through recovery I like nourished that healthy part and it kind of became the the more powerful part of my brain. Um, And so now there's just a tiny little fraction of like unhealthy mind that sometimes flares its head and, and, but I'm able to like jump on it. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm curious now that you are so far into like your process of recognizing trick and, um, you know, recovering from it, how, how that is for you, like if you feel like you're you have tools in terms of like recognizing and acting on it, or yeah, mm. so that's pretty general. Yeah, no, absolutely, that and that's so relatable. And Jason and I have sort of talked about what recovery means to us because um, I I don't think I probably sort of I don't think Jason you had a chance to describe your BFRB yet this episode. I don't know if you want to remind us. So Ellie knows. Um, sure, Ellie. Yeah, I like uh, I scratch on my hands. So for me, it's a uh, dermatillomania, 
which is like skin picking, skin scratching, and it um, yeah manifests on <clears throat> my hands for the most part. And like when it's really bad, like like I'll just have like open cuts all along here. Um, but um, now I would I, I'm I feel like I'm on that uh, recovery spectrum. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, and I I, I guess to, to your question of like what recovery looks like. Um, yeah, so as Adele was alluding to, this is something that um, we talk about that, you know, our goal, I, I think for a long time, that's what I was fixated on. Like, that's what I thought the, the future looked like was, okay, just never scratching ever again. And like, you know, um, I, I think Adele says like, oh, I'm like 300 days pull free. And like, you know, that, that counter keeps on ticking up and it's great. Um, Wait, I don't say I, that. <laughs> no, 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 no. But I, I think there, people say that. And I, for me, there was a time when I thought that's what success looked like. Um, mm. and I thought that's what I was aiming for. Um, but it's not so true anymore. Like, I feel like my hands are like the best they've been in eight years, probably since I've had it. Um, a, a big, you know, and Adele's been a, a big part of that, uh, like recovery healing process. Um, but at the same time, like there are still like, I think two days ago when I was uh, waking up, like kind of on the wrong side of the bed and I'm just like the anxious thoughts just kind of and I'm like scratching away and then I have to like remind myself like wake up you know like it's okay you know you you have breathing techniques like you know you can you, you can um there is some distance from it but it's like you said it's not zero um but that doesn't I still feel on this recovery spectrum I agree um, but, but I like how you said it is still something that's an ongoing management. Um, and it's, it, it's sort of like, I don't know, if, well, let's just try our hand at a metaphor, like kind of like weeds growing, you know, like you can never assume that the, the garden will be a hundred percent weed free. It's just like, that's the, that's a, that's a fact of life is that like mm. weeds will grow. Um, that's a really interesting that's really helpful actually I feel like I'm gonna describe that to people because I get I get that question sometimes like oh are you 100% um okay now that's really interesting um I love the garden metaphor because I think on in addition to there will there's always weeds like to, there might be a lot or there may be few but I think part of it as well is about what you nurture as well you know like for me what you said about having the the healthy and the, and the unhealthy parts of your brain or thoughts it's it's takes so much discipline I think and awareness to nurture the the healthy thoughts and to nurture the healthy behaviors and habits and at least for me, that's been my experience of, you know, there. like I can tell when the garden is overgrown with weeds, especially if I um, like sort of forget to like do certain things that that nurture me, I guess. Um, and so it, I sort of lose control and then it sort of seems to be a positive feedback loop of hmm. 
I get overwhelmed and then it's like wow this is gonna be a big job to recover from this um yeah instead of doing like a little bit often (laughs) yeah and then there's like life events which is totally fair so it's not like life has that getting in the way getting in the way (laughs) you you leave the bay yeah. And then all of a sudden you have a deadline. <laughs> Fuck, it's overgrown. <laughs> it happens. Yeah. yeah. Well, that makes me think a lot of like, you know, it's there's rec- recovery is often like preventative behaviors, mm-hmm. I find. Um, and catching things early, I yes. think, has been key to maintaining uh, my health. Um, because, you know, I'll, I'll have little slips or something, or I'll notice little behaviors, little restrictive habits, like slipping, slipping into my routine, especially, you know, if I'm feeling stressed about other stuff. Um, and all of a sudden, I'm like, not putting butter on my bread. And it'll happen a couple of times in a row. And I, I have to catch it so soon. Because I find that it only goes in one direction, like it only gets worse. Um, and it's so insidious with these, with these things. So yeah, it's interesting, but, but one of the tools that I'm really grateful that I got in recovery was like this really deep and very specific level of like self-awareness. Um, you know, and I, I don't know, I mean, lots of people have eating disorders that like don't get diagnosed. They don't go through like a hospital recovery program like I did um so you know I'm not sure what it's like for those people if you have to kind Mm -hmm. of create recovery totally on your own and your own version of it yeah I I can I mean it's interesting to and we're not comparing but I guess just finding some similarities in in experience in terms of you know experiencing something that is like everyone has I guess their experience that's unique in some way and and challenges that that feel can feel really isolating at times and so I think that's one thing that I find similar about our experiences is that that piece of feeling isolated and and that stigma around it I think Mm -hmm. people are a lot more aware of eating disorders but sometimes I think that is um that that can have a negative impact maybe because people have certain preconceptions whereas for something like trick people some most of the time have never heard of it so it's kind of totally. interesting like raise awareness but in an effective way <laughs> yeah 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 I mean like raise awareness but not uh cliches <laughs> yeah exactly um yeah totally I come up against that all the time and it's so hard I find that if I really want to go go into a conversation about eating disorders with someone or like really open up about it I have to be prepared to like kind of potentially overhaul all of this thinking that exists um about eating disorders because I really feel like my version of a disorder was so different than uh what like pop culture's narrative about what an eating disorder is and I have to so prepared to like do all of this explaining and kind of dismantling I mean some people don't but like I I have to be prepared for that just in case Mm -hmm. um but it must be a whole other set of challenges to 
disclose something potentially that's totally foreign to <laughs> other people, you know, They're like didn't even know that that could exist as I didn't. Yeah. Blank slate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> one, one good thing about the, where there's a lot of good things about the BFRB body focused repetitive behavior acronym is that now we can compare it to things like nail biting that most people have heard about. Like it's, Right. So that's, I think, a huge benefit of what they've, I don't know who's they and like how they decided, but (laughs) I guess through research. (laughs) Um, I think that's hugely beneficial. Now, I have a question for both of you. You both have these like public platforms with which you talk about these super personal issues. And uh, and Adele, we've had each other on social media for many years, and you've been open about Trick for a long time, um, mm-hmm. which is something that I'm so in awe of and have always thought that I would love to do myself. And I would love to share things online more openly with like a public broad audience, but I've never really been able to. Something always mm-hmm. stops me. Um, and I'm curious about like how how you got to that point and why you decided to kind of be be public about it and what mm-hmm. that process has been like. Mm-hmm. And if you've if you found it helpful or not. Jason, do you what do you want to go first? Um I, I can start. I can start. <laughs> Uh, I, I think Adele is much more open than me um, with, with, her, with her BFRB than me. Um, but to be honest, I, so I, I feel like I'm answering two different questions. So first, specifically about the social media. In general, I actually, I, social media makes me anxious. <laughs> and I think that's something that I intentionally distance myself from. Like the only reason I have a Facebook account is just to like the messaging component. I have this like Chrome extension that actually like blocks my Facebook feed from appearing. Uh, um, yeah. Much more useful. Um, and it just like, yeah, like heads it off at the pass before like just, uh, you know, hours of mindless scrolling. Um, so I think I've made a bit of a conscious decision to um, not have a like that much of an online presence. Mm-hmm. Um, but that being said, I would say I am being more open about uh, my BFRB these days. And I'm much more, um, yeah, just comfortable sharing and talking to like, I guess, like people on like that I you know what I said about that list of that people that I was keeping this from like that list is shrinking this list is uh growing longer um even like co-workers now um who I I wasn't anticipating sharing with um like one of the so when we were first meeting in person Adele we were gonna meet near Metro Town and I Mm kind of offered oh like my 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 office is at Metro Town I can ask like my coworkers, if we can meet after hours there. And I like approached the head of like our office, office manager. And I'm like, Julie, like, Hey, um, so I have this thing with my hands where I pick at them. Until they <laughs> <bleed>. <laughs> and I'm like wanting to start a support group. And then we, we just had like a very like 
yeah, I mean, open conversation about it. And um, I, I wasn't really anticipating myself uh, to be open. And that process to get there, I think um, just being able to talk about it in a non-triggered state, um, like not, I, I think I've said it before, but just sharing um, like not in moments of crisis, but moments in like, hey, this is an everyday ongoing maintenance thing. Like, um, and so the, the support group has been really helpful for that, just saying, oh, like Jason, how's your week been? Oh, really good. Um, you know, last night I had this uh, BFRB group. Oh, I haven't told you about that. Well, this is what it's about. This is, you know, something I've been struggling with for eight years now, but um, finally I can talk about it. Um, I, I think I've forgotten your question, but how, how to be open about it. Like how you, yeah. how you came to the decision to, uh, for example, like have a podcast where you share I assume, I mean, I haven't heard your podcast, but um, mm. we share information about it. Uh, and if it's, if it's been helpful, I guess, is the second part of the question. Right. Um, yes. So I, absolutely. It's been helpful. Um, uh, talking about it. Yeah. The process. Mm, I don't know, Adele, feel free to jump yeah. in. At any point. Sure. <laughs> I can, um, I can speak to that, the social media piece that I have been more active on. And um, I think, I honestly think the reason why I reached out on social media the first few times and why I still sort of have waves of wanting to share is just a, a yearning to meet people who have the same experience as me. Mm. I think it's really beneficial to share my experience with people that I love and who will listen to me. But I think I've, for a long time, I've had this feeling of, I just really want to meet someone who knows exactly what I'm going through. And I want to be able to talk about it. And it'll be just so fun in a way, you know, like just so validating, like what we talked about before. Um, and so I, I remember several different times now where I've had this overwhelming fe feeling of, I don't know if it's loneliness necessarily, but I, I guess um, just a certain kind of loneliness that I am trying to address. And I, I feel like social media is the biggest platform that I have to reach out. That's actually how I met Jason because I made a Facebook post saying, does anyone experience this? And then we met indirectly uh, through that. And so at this point, well, and in addition to that, I think what I noticed is that trick became such a normal part of my life in a way that I was almost forgetting to talk about it to certain people around me. And so it was almost like a whole wave of my friends had no idea that I was experiencing this. And which I guess in a way it means that it hasn't been uh, hugely detrimental to my life, which I guess is a good sign. In another way, I think I've been sort of like not acknowledging my experience yeah. as much as I want to. And yeah. And then on top of that, I think I've had this feeling uh, that's been growing in the last year or so and leading up to meeting Jason and starting the support group that I feel like I've been really fortunate in the kind of support that I've had and being able to live my life um, pretty normally and being able to sort of go through, have 
go through therapy and have a lot of support to get to where I am and knowing that a lot of people are isolated. So I think a lot of the sharing for me now is just this feeling of responsibility to others to do what I can to to help them and just by raising awareness or connecting uh, to people. And actually, and I was messaging Jason about this a few days ago. I was so excited because we've released two episodes and just this past week, I think there were three emails, three messages in particular that came to me that were, that were so thoughtful, so um, earnest (laughs) in terms of how, the podcast has been helpful to to these people. Um, these are people that I didn't necessarily know were experiencing it, or I didn't know how much it would mean to them. And I think that is like that's so helpful because that's that's addressing both things of wanting to connect with people who have the same experience and using what I've learned to help others. And I just, man, I've been so emotional about it. But I think it can only get better from here, right? Because that's incredible. We had no, like, I think we just sort of thought, okay, well, what we're doing, it's kind of interesting. Like, we think it's interesting. So let's just record it and see what happens. Yeah, the internet is so crazy. That's so awesome. I'm I'm so happy. You know, I totally, uh, I can totally identify with that feeling of like being so open about something and then, and then like almost to the point where it, you forget that yeah. it's super important. Right? I feel yeah. like I've always <laughs> um, wondered, like, if I, you know, the more the more you share something, or the I'll make it personal, like, the more I've shared about uh, my anorexia, the more, the, the less precious it became and the less important it became, the less of this massive shameful secret it, it was. And that was in some ways helpful but then another part of me, I think, over the years has thought like, oh, no, it is really precious. It is super important. Um, mm-hmm. And it's not something I really can or am ready to be like flippant about. Um, or not flippant, but like uh, casual about mm-hmm. yet. And I don't know. I mean, it would kind of be nice to be at a point where I could be casual about it. Um, and reference it in passing and I feel like that might be really helpful to like people around you uh, or me but yeah it's it's interesting like the stage yeah I I think I I was I was asking a question uh, like Ellie or sorry Adele, when I asked you, you know, what what was it that you wanted, like your need and or want, desire to share with Ellie back in eighth grade? And I think that was something I was almost like wanting to put my finger on of like, and something that I'm trying to appreciate more and more is that like, not everybody needs to know my secrets. Mm-hmm. And I think there is like a, there is an exchange, like there is an excitement, there is like an intimacy of, hey, like, um, you're like an important part of my life. I want to intentionally have this conversation with you about this. Yeah, like not a secret per se, but like mm-hmm. something weighty. Um, and honestly, sometimes I make those assessments of like, I kind of don't want to tell this stranger. Like, I don't think they would appreciate my story 
Um, hmm. so I don't want to like waste my energy or not waste my energy, but like, you know, I don't need to explain myself to this person. Um, mm-hmm. well, it's a I huge think- investment of time and, and emotional labor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It, so I, I think it's like recognizing almost this boundary of, you know, this is an important part of my story and I want to cherish it in a certain way and not, you know, be completely secret. But I like the word that you use, just like flippant about like, oh, whatever, like, blah, 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 this is mm-hmm. something I do. It's like, no, like, um, I'm honoring my own story by being selective about who I tell it to. Um, and I think that's that's part of the process. It's like a curation almost. Um, yeah, and it, so so that was my thought there. And then um, Adele, um, I, I really like what you said, um, like that that loneliness. I think about um, about your BFRB and uh, like it's really nice to have this conversation where you don't need to like catch the other person. You don't need that to like bring them up to speed, right? Like they've been feeling it, they've been living it, they've been experiencing it and just being able to talk openly and like, yeah, it's just, it's so, I I, I think it is less lonely in that sense. And that I think is a really good benefit and um, Ellie to, to the two questions you asked us about like what what was the process to being open and what are the benefits that you get from them like I think there's like a they feed into each other mm-hmm. and um, like I, I, for me what I found is the more I've shared the more I've learned um, like oh I can share with Adele Adele gives me all this cool insight and now that's helping me to share more yeah so right. And it gives you like more language. The more language you have, the easier it is. The more validation you receive, the easier it is to share more. Absolutely. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. super interesting. Um, I I have uh, I, well two things. First of all, I totally see. I, I'm appealed, or, or the the idea of sharing on social media, like you know, every February I think is is um eating disorders awareness month uh that medic the american national eating disorders whatever whatever um kind of created and every february i go through this period where i like start writing something on my computer that would be like a facebook post or an instagram post about uh eating disorders and and what i would love to share with people i know and love about it um but there's just like not enough characters and and I just, I can't quite do it. And, uh, but something that I've always found appealing about the idea of it is, is that connection and that inviting, you know, connection with other sufferers. Um, and then also like activating a support system, kind of being like, hey, I might need you in the future. I might uh, have a relapse, something bad might happen. And, uh, if, if more people know, maybe that'll like hold me more accountable to recovery or, uh, you know, in some ways it's, it's, it's an activation of, of a larger support system, um, which I've always thought could be quite helpful. Um, 
And I think there was something else. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then the other thought that I had was that I only have one other person in my life who um, had a similar eating sort of trajectory as me. And we actually met at the first Sick Kids Eating Disorders Outpatient Program Orientation Day. And uh, we met and then we never saw each other again until like a year later, I saw her on a, on a bus on public transit. And I approached her and we recognized each other immediately and we gave each other uh, our numbers and we formed a friendship. And she's still to this day, like one of the only people who I can have really specific conversations with about eating disorders. And I remember the first time we hung out, it was so crazy because I would say things or describe really specific feelings and she understood them immediately. And I remember specifically like saying something about how, you know, the, one of the more extreme parts of my eating disorder happened during the winter. Um, and, and she said, Oh, you must've been so cold, which she understood Mm -hmm. because, um, when you starve to that degree, like you lose so much body fat, uh, that you're just perpetually like have this chill that you can't warm. Um, and it's really unlike a, a sensation of cold that I've ever experienced before. And, and I remember it just being so profound that she knew exactly what that would have been like. Um, so, yeah. Wow. Yeah. And I think the, like, I would say the, the social media, the masses, I wouldn't rush there. Like, I, I think what happened for me was, I did that post, met Jason, like the connection I have with Jason has been the, like the most wonderful thing this year, right? Because I, not only did I make a friend, but also I get to like talk to someone who has such similar experiences. I think the social media piece is just like building off of that and the podcast together, like our conversation is still the most important part, but then like, I think it's made me confident to like share it out because I think it's it's important stuff but like it could still exist without sharing if that makes sense so I like I yeah I, yeah. I think the social media is a, is a bonus like it definitely feels like it's hard to go back from that too like once you post it's out there <laughs> and yeah I think I also get a little bit nervous like maybe this wouldn't be a problem at all but I do wonder what would it be like to have people who have never met you in person and like one of the only things they know about you is this like super personal mm-hmm. part of your narrative mm-hmm. I wonder what that would be like maybe that's not a bad thing at all but I think it'd be kind of weird <laughs> yeah but then again you know we know also like I feel like I never meet people for the first time anymore I feel like I know so much about <laughs> so many random people I meet them in person and then I have to pretend not to know all this I have to pretend I don't know who they do you still have this curiosity you know? don't you <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah no Instagram just enables my stalkerish tendencies <laughs> oh gosh That's oh my goodness I, I think that's our podcast. Stalkerish tendency note. I think I think we should try and say the word. Oh, yes. 
We were supposed to do this at the beginning. Trichotillomania. Uh, <laughs> okay, so for years I've been saying trichotillomania. And you know, people have complimented me on knowing how to <laughs> My friend recently said, oh, wow, I, you know how to pronounce that? And I was like, yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah. And I've been saying it wrong. Trichotillomania. Trico- Who came up with that? Trichotillomania. <laughs> well, actually, trichotillomania. Um, the root of the word, for anyone who doesn't know, is um, trico is hair and tillo is pulling. Oh. And mania is like a right. habit, I think. Um, Interesting. Yeah. So, well, that's kind of cool. You know, that's so funny. The um not to make this all about me, but <laughs> <laughs> I I didn't know this. Uh my dad actually educated me on this when he wrote a play. And anyways, there was this part about anorexia. And uh in the play there's this line where he says the Latin um like the the Latin translation or I can't remember what it was but basically the word anorexia means uh an addiction to starvation an addiction to starvation mm-hmm. which I always thought was really cool that that addiction is in the definition or in the root meaning um because that has the idea of an addiction has always helped me like understand it and explain it to people mm-hmm. um but it's something that is truly a disease and truly out of your control um, yeah, and it's yeah, an addictive that's... tendency. So was the sin bread? Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. My dad. My dad's an actor and a, a playwright, and he wrote a, a play called Bread about bread baking, actually. But then there was this like whole um, melodramatic interlude where his daughter has anorexia, <laughs> <laughs> and then I made a cameo. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Cool. Anyway, that's all. Well, thanks, Ellie. I think it's your turn to say it. Oh, trichotillomania. <laughs> no hesitation. No hesitation. <laughs> I've said it a few times. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks so much, Ellie. This has been really special. It's so Thank great you to meet so you. too. I would really love to catch up, you know, in a personal way. I yeah. Mean, <laughs> <laughs> we don't have to record it next time so. um, should, should we try to do our our outro i guess um um if you have any questions or comments or would like to reach out and connect and uh, ellie what, how did you put it activate that support network that's so fun yeah um, if you'd like to activate any support networks um you can email us at uh fidgetpodcast at gmail.com I am monitoring it still no emails Uh, yet (laughs) no emails yet Um, we have a maybe a logo (laughs) maybe a theme song if not to come (laughs) we're hoping it'll be in this episode so we'll see and Um, also if you have any questions or if you would like to talk on the podcast or you have ideas for it we're also open to that as well, to all the listeners out there. <laughs> yeah, okay. okay thank you. <laughs> thank you.